It's so good to be with you. As Paul said a few minutes ago, my name is Andy, and this is my wife, Stacy. And we are so incredibly grateful for this church. Um, we said on Wednesday when we were with you that this church has changed our lives, changed our story. In fact, there were literally dozens of you when we started the church, started Echo back in 2009, who came over, who invested your time and your energy, your even resources financially, prayed for us. And God has used your church through ours and many other churches in the Bay Area um, to literally touch and change thousands of lives. And we would not be where we are today. So it's such an honor to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say just a huge thank you to Paul and Karen who have been such a blessing to us, such an encouragement to us all these years. And every once in a while, Paul and Karen will sneak over to Echo. If they're not preaching here, maybe they'll sneak in for a service. And anytime I see them, I just want to run to them because I know that they're going to just fill up my heart with so much encouragement. And isn't that the truth that they are the most encouraging people you've ever met? I just love them and appreciate them so much. Well, um, how many of you guys like that video, watching your staff be stuck in a room? It's, it's, uh, it's interesting, these, all this, this escape room phenomenon. Back in 2004, there were 22 escape rooms in the country. Now there are over like 2,300 escape rooms. So people will pay really good money to go be stuck in a room for an hour. It just seems a little bit like that. that's an anxiety-inducing uh, experience. <laughs> And it's, it's kind of comical to watch people when they're stuck in the room because they're working together, they're getting clues, and sometimes those clues don't work. But what is not humorous is actually being stuck in a place in your life of anxiety and depression, to feel like you want out, but to feel like there's no way out. And this whole series over the next four weeks is designed to help you, to help those in your life who are struggling with anxiety and depression. And I think for a lot of us, um, even looking at our nation, is, it's super important to see how many people are currently struggling. In fact, statistics show us that 51% of people will have a diagnosable psychiatric disorder during their lifetime. That means that if you look to your left or you look to your right, that at least one person around you statistically will struggle. And if it's not you, somebody in your life that you love and you care about will walk through a deep darkness. 40,000 Americans every single year will commit suicide. And for every person who succeeds, there are another 12 attempts, which means that every minute of every day, there is someone who is attempting suicide. This is a problem. And we face this in our area because there's so much pressure with our jobs, with with our financial challenges that we have in the Bay Area, with the massive number of people. It's easy to slip into this darkness. And the median delay when we do and getting the treatment that we need is close to 10 years. So that means that there are some people who are here today and you've been struggling maybe even for years and felt like there was no way out, there was no solution for you. Less than half of the people who need treatment will actually receive it. And this is a problem. This is a problem that the church needs to talk about. Right, and I feel like for the past, the church has been kind of silent on this issue of mental health and maybe even had a negative posture towards it, um, kind of insinuating that if your relationship with God was strong enough that you wouldn't struggle in these ways like mentally or emotionally. You've probably heard that phrase, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And it's just not true that there are lots of people who have a great relationship with God but they also really deal with 
issues of anxiety and depression and mental health. And the church needs to not be silent on the issue, but to be advocates for those people. Uh, in the last year and a half, Andy and I have known of three lead pastors who have taken their own life by suicide. And it's a, it's a serious issue, and it can affect anyone. And this, this issue is very personal to us because um, I have walked through uh, seasons of depression in my life. And when I was in college, it was probably the first time I started to experience some of these symptoms of depression. And at the time, I, I didn't realize what was going on. No one really understood what was going on. I kept explaining it. Uh, like, we had a friend who was tragically killed in a car accident. And so I was relating it to grief, like I'm just grieving, or we moved away and started grad school far away from my family, and so I just kept thinking I was homesick, and, and I was trying all these things to help myself, but it wasn't getting better, it was getting worse, it was getting more persistent, it was getting deeper. And finally, at the age of 22 years old, I was sitting on the couch in a psychiatrist's office, and he looks at me and says, Stacey, you are clinically depressed. And I had never heard that before. I had never even thought that that could be true of me. But when he said it, I, everything kind of came into focus. And I, I realized all these different symptoms that I was experiencing and how, it was, how it, was, it was just very typical of someone that's experiencing depression. And so for me, this is a very personal journey that I've walked on and that I've needed to find hope in the middle of. Mm -hmm. And so what we're hoping through this series and over the next four weeks is that, that you would find hope mm -hmm. and that you would find um, some clues maybe to make you feel like possibly you could escape this trap that you feel in of anxiety and depression and just to know that you're not alone in it. So we're going to be talking about this over the next few weeks as a church. Yeah, and we, we, we believe that, you know, there's so, there's so much that's happening in the spiritual realms for every one of us. That you, got, you were created by God for relationship with God, but you also have an enemy. And he wants to destroy you. He, he wants you to be miserable, to be disconnected from God, to be disconnected from others. And one of his primary strategies is to breathe lies into your mind and into my mind. Like when we were watching that video, um, there, there are clues that come through to help you get out of the room. But then sometimes there'll be a false clue. That false clue will lead you astray and in the wrong direction. And the enemy, oftentimes for people who struggle with depression and anxiety, will breathe lies that cause people to be stuck longer than they should. And this series, the way we're gonna break it down is we're gonna look at four lies that we believe and look at how do we begin to move out of those lies. To help us, we're gonna study a passage of scripture found in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. So the whole series will journey through the life of a guy by the name of Elijah. Elijah shows up in the Old Testament as one of the great prophets of God. God uses him to perform incredible miracles. But when he shows up, the nation of Israel is at a really bad time. There's this wicked King Ahab, and he has a wicked queen wife by the name of Jezebel. And they had made a decision that they were going to eliminate all of the, the prophets of God, of Yahweh. They, they had this other God named Baal, and they believed that Baal was the true God. So they decided, well, we're just going to kill all of Yahweh's prophets. Well, Elijah, he wasn't going to stand for it. In fact, so much of his ministry was preaching against the work of Ahab and Jezebel. 
And on one particular occasion, Elijah says, well, let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is the real God. In fact, you, you go out, get all your prophets. You come up to this mountain. It's called Mark, Mount Carmel. And we'll, not like Car- Carmel down here, but like in Israel, Carmel. And let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is the true God. And he says, why don't you do this? Let's put up an altar and we'll put up some wood and let's, let's make a sacrifice like you, you do and we do to worship. And uh, let's see if your God can light fire on your sacrifice. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they go first. And Elijah says, your turn, let's, let's, let's see if he's real. So they start praying and shouting and nothing happens. It's going on for hours. You should read the passage. It's really funny because Elijah looks at these prophets of Baal and says, hey, maybe your, your God is uh, defecating. Maybe he's stuck in the restroom on the pot and can't get off. And that's why he, it's in the Bible. And uh, no response, n- nothing happens. They, they keep crying out, please send fire. And for hours they're there. So finally, Elijah's like, well, let me, let me have a turn. Let me see if, if my God can answer my prayer. He looks at all the prophets and he says, why don't you put some water on that wood? So they come up, they dump water on He says, why don't you do it again? So they do it again. He said, why don't you do it a third time? So three times they put water on the altar and Elijah walks around it. And he prays and he says, God, I want to ask you to prove that you are the one true God. Send fire, show your power. And in a moment, God answers Elijah's prayer. It's no shouting, no screaming, doesn't have to go on for hours. Just one prayer, God shows up and proves that he's God. God loves to do that. He loves for people to know how great, how wonderful and powerful he is. And it's this great moment of victory for Elijah. He's on the mountaintop, literally and figuratively. He has another moment from there that he runs over and it's the middle of a a drought. And he says, well, it's been a great day. Why don't I keep going? So he starts praying that God would send rain. And he prays and God answers his prayers and sends rain on a dry land And it's just a beautiful story of God's miraculous intervention. Elijah is at this point so elated. He has so much energy that he starts running. He goes on a 17-mile run from where the miracle happened down Jezreel Valley where King Ahab and Jezebel live. So he's sprinting there. He's running. He's so happy about what God has just done. And when he gets there, he encounters Jezebel. And Jezebel makes this statement to him. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now this is a really fascinating passage of scripture because I think for a lot of us we can relate that sometimes in our lives uh, we have mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. And isn't it true that you can have great things happen in your life where you get a kid and then all of a sudden you bring the kid home and maybe you start struggling with postpartum depression or you get a job and it's a lot harder than you expected or you get married like Stacy did and you realize, wow, that was not what I expected. (laughs) And it's harder than you thought it would be. And often this struggle with depression happens in those moments from mountaintops to valleys. And many of us, though, when we we look at Elijah, it's easy to be critical of him because you think, well, if God just did all that, Elijah, he can take care of Jezebel. He, He certainly can help you again. But Elijah, he shows in this passage of scripture all the classic signs of depression, of what a psychiatrist or psychologist would say is true depression. And he looks 
And it says that he looks at the situation and he, he starts to get afraid. He was afraid and fled for his life. He starts running again. So he starts the story after the miracle, running in faith, but now he's going to run in fear. And he runs to Beersheba, a town in Judah. He left his servant there, and then he went on alone. He kept going into the wilderness, traveling all day, until he sat down under a solitary broom tree. It's believed that he ran over a hundred miles into the wilderness to get as far away from his problems as he could. And maybe even there was a part of him running that happened because he felt like there was no way out. There was no way through. And we're going to see over the next four weeks how Elijah meets God in his depression. How Elijah is brutally honest and shows all these classical, classic signs of depression. Let, let's talk a little bit about how does somebody know when they're at that place of depression? Right. Well, I think there's a lot of signs you can look for and a lot of things I experienced that maybe some of you guys have experienced too. We can see it in Elijah's life even. But I know that for me, I feel really tired when, I, when this starts to happen to me and I can get into this place where I need to sleep a lot more, like at night. I just want to sleep during the day. I don't have energy to do things. I feel very overwhelmed easily. So things that should be simple, like getting out of bed in the morning or taking a shower, it just, it feels so hard. Like it's so hard to make breakfast or it's so hard to do these very simple tasks. It's just overwhelming, anxiety. A lot of times I'll have trouble sleeping and I'll, I'll just like lay and, and stare at the wall in the middle of the night filled with all these anxious thoughts that, I, that keep me awake at night. I think that all of us go through sad times or all of us have hard days but there's a persistence mm -hmm. in depression where it, it won't let up. It, it spirals down. It gets worse. And, um, and so th those are some of the things that I experienced. Another thing that's really um, common with depression is suicidal thoughts. And people think of that as like really extreme and like really far. And, and sometimes um, people will actually go as far as to make a plan of how that they would hurt themselves. But suicidal thoughts can be um, less than that. It can be just thinking about death all the time. Like, I'd rather die than live my life like this. And um, I certainly have felt that way. Like, I know heaven's, heaven awaits me, and, and that would be a lot better than the way I feel right now. And I, although I never had made any type of plan to hurt myself, it was just this, this constant thought that was with me of, of death being better than life. So when I, when I start to notice these things in my life, it's, it's like a red flag going up, right? Like, like you notice when I'm healthy, I don't feel this way, but when I'm in the thick of it, this is, these are the signs that I'm seeing. And it just, it, it sends off an alarm to say, pay attention to mm -hmm. what's going on right here. Yeah, and what do you do? Like what, if that's your reality today, that's how you feel, or maybe somebody in your life is there, how do you get out of that? And that's what we're going to talk about as we continue to journey through this story. Our goal, like when we were in the escape room or the staff was in the escape room, somebody would call in with a clue. That clue could unlock something to help you keep moving forward to get out. We want to give you three clues today that will help unlock and unleash truth into your life to help you keep moving forward to move back to a place of hope, to move into a place of healing. So the first of these clues is to identify potential causes. And um, anybody who's struggled with depression would acknowledge that it's not just one thing that gets us to that place. It's not just one challenge. But um, we want to unpack a few of these different 
uh, challenges that you might be facing. Number one is mental. So there's the thought process. Elijah, in verse 5 of chapter 19, he says this, I've had enough, Lord. You ever felt like that before? I've had enough. Had enough traffic. I've had enough of these kids. I've had enough of this job. I've had enough of this life. And that's where Elijah is. In fact, he says back to God, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. He feels worthless. And you can see his mental struggle. He's not thinking clearly. He's not seeing his value or how God works. God just showed how powerful he is, yet Elijah now feels like he's worthless. And that's what we're going to talk about next week, the second lie, which is the lie that we believe we're worthless and there's no reason to live. I want to uh, encourage you to come back for that. But talk a little bit about what you did when you were in that place mentally where you struggled. Like, how did you move through that? Yeah, well, you know, depression's not logical. You can't rationally think your way out of it because um, in your mind, that's where the battlefield is. It starts with a thought. And, and the, my thoughts, it just, it's like I have crazy brain. I just flooded with all these lies and all this negativity, and I cannot trust my own thoughts. And so what I have to do very intentionally uh, when I'm entering a season uh, of depression is I had to fill my mind with what I know to be true. And so I am constantly listening to podcasts and listening to audiobooks and listening to worship music and filling my mind with truth from an outside source because I, I can't think of anything that is good and lovely and pure by myself in those moments. And so I have to allow myself to be influenced by outside thoughts that I know to be truth. Thoughts are like a train. And so if you get on a thought, it's going to take mm-hmm. you in a certain direction. And if you get on a bad thought, it's going to take you to a place that you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And so you have to make a choice to stand on true thoughts and to allow it to take you to a, a, a good destination, somewhere that you do want to be, a better place than where you are right now. And I have to depend on those thoughts coming from an outside source when I get this crazy brain and I'm not thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. And right connected to that mental is the physical side of it. Um, Elijah said, in, uh, or it says in verse 5 of chapter 19, Elijah, after all that God had done, he laid down and slept under the broom tree. And that's also one of the signs of depression when you get exhausted and you just want to sleep. There's a physical reality to it. God made us as physical beings and we need rest. We need proper nutrition. Sometimes our, our balances get out with serotonin and it's important to recognize that the, the physical reality of depression. For sure. I mean, depression can be caused by a physical reason. Like you mentioned, the imbalance of serotonin levels in your brain, that can definitely lead to a depression or um, hormones. Like when a woman gives birth or, and her hormones are all out of whack or going through menopause, there are physical reasons why our bodies might respond in this emotional way. And then there's the reality that if you are in a prolonged season of hardship or depression, that that can manifest itself physically. Mm -hmm. And so our body gives us clues to what it is experiencing, the anxiety, the pressure that it's feeling. And so for me, this is one way that I help myself when Mm -hmm. I'm in the midst of depression and I try to reverse the cycle, is I will be very intentional about the things that I do physically. Mm -hmm. Like I need good nutrition when I am sinking. And I may feel like just 
loading my body up with carbs and sugar, but I know that that's just going to take me to a worse place. And so I'm very intentional about the kinds of food that I eat. I'm intentional about getting enough sleep at night and, and getting some form of exercise, even if it's just like going for a walk right. on a beautiful day or getting some fresh air, just making sure that I am paying attention to the signs that my body is giving me. Yeah, and when Stacy originally was struggling with depression, uh, there was a season where she was taking medicine prescribed by a doctor, and we found that to be very helpful. Um, and when the, when the cause is physical, what can happen is if you get some good medicine from a good doctor, it can help stabilize some of the levels of serotonin so that you can start to work on the other stuff that's happening. So we want to encourage you, like if you're at that place, to see somebody who is a professional, whether it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a medical doctor that can help you. Sometimes people do use medicine for the wrong reason. Sometimes people use medicine to not have to deal with the problem and bury it. But if the cause is physical, there can be a season. And even there are some people that for their whole lives have to be on medicine. And we would encourage you to prayerfully consider um, if that is a part of the solution as you identify the cause. The other part that is important to recognize is the spiritual aspect. See, you were made by God, as I said earlier, for a relationship with God. You weren't made for sin. You weren't made to be separated from God. And what sin does is it separates you from the most important source of life, relationship with God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, if you read before the original sin, there was the original blessing. And God said to Adam and Eve, I want you. It says he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And then right after that came what we call the original sin that separated them from God. When we are sinning in our lives over a long period of time, it can lead us to a place of sadness. I think that sometimes we immediately can assume sadness is sin. Not all sadness is sin, but all sin can lead to a place of sadness. King David said in Psalm 32, 3, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. And I can look back on places in my life or seasons of my life where there was sin that was separating me from God and I was sad as a result of that. So we want to be open to the reality that sometimes there is a spiritual component that is causing our soul to be sick. The last one is circumstantial. And talk about that one, babe. Yeah, I think that there are situations in our life that can bring on acute depression. So if, if you've experienced some type of loss, like we went through a miscarriage one time that was very challenging for me to get through, or um, a season of transition. When we brought our son home from Ethiopia, um, that season of transitioning him into the family was very challenging for me. Or if, um, if you've lost a loved one in a car accident or, or something like that, those traumatic circumstances, a change in job or a lot of pressure at, job, at your job, all these things can bring on like an acute depression. And I think that our bodies need to respond. Like if you're going through a season of grief, you need to grieve. And that's the healthy response to grief. You can't speed that up. You can't skip it or overlook it. You have to go through the grief. But if we don't get the help that we need in the middle of it, if we don't respond to it in a healthy way, what can happen is that that season of acute depression extends into chronic depression. And we just end up living in this state of sadness and hopelessness and depression when it could have been shorter. It could have, we could have received more healing from it if we don't respond in a healthy way. 
And so just to be aware of that. Yeah, and one of the encouragements I would have for you is to look at that list of causes and to maybe even star one or two of those on your notes or think about somebody in your life that you're connected to, to be able to identify how did I get where I am? Because the awareness of getting to that place of anxiety and depression is the beginning of the battle, is knowing, okay, here's where I am, here's how I got where I am. In fact, um, later in the passage, we'll see as we study together over the next few weeks, when um, God would say to Elijah, where are you? Like, in, it's, God never asks a question because he needs an answer. God will ask us questions so that we can see. He wants Elijah to know this is where you are. This is, this is how you got where you are. And being aware of that is super important. And it leads us to the second clue, which is to be honest about the pain. To feel freedom to, to acknowledge that things are not the way that they should be. This story is such a beautiful example of the human struggle and the heart of God. When we read the scripture, we see how all these wonderful heroes of the Bible struggled just like you and I do. And Elijah, I mean, think about it. Elijah is written about in the New Testament as one of the great heroes of the faith. Yet when Elijah was down, he was screaming at God, my life is horrible, I want to die. He says later, I'm the only one who loves you. And yet God, in his grace and mercy, meets Elijah at his point of pain. And God will do that with you. But we oftentimes, we go to extremes. And the first extreme is that we deny it. We act like the situation isn't real. Um, we almost try to avoid the reality that we're struggling. Yeah, we have a little girl, Karis, who's an, a five-year-old, and she loves Band-Aids. And she wants to put a Band-Aid on everything, anytime she has any type of pain. So, I mean, she could have a headache, and she wants a Band-Aid for it. Last week, and I couldn't I couldn't find any Band-Aids. They were all, like, the only ones were princess Band-Aids. So I had these cuts in my hands I was lock, walk, walking around with princess Bella and... Uh, um, you don't even know the princess names. I, Jasmine. Yes. <laughs> Ariel. Um, but anyway, so the band-aids, we try to cover it up. I think that like we do that as adults as well, where we just want to slap a band-aid on a wound and cover it up and pretend like it's not there. And uh, sometimes, though, that wound goes so deep mm -hmm. that we, what we actually need to do is we need to uncover it, and we need to get in there and clean it out, get all that infection out of there, all that dead skin out of there, and get down to where the wound is raw, because that's where the healing can take place. Mm -hmm. If we just cover it up and deny the reality of that wound, we're actually going to prolong the healing process because of the infection and the unhealth that can set in. Yeah, and w when we we deny oftentimes one of the things we'll do is we'll self-medicate and we just choose something that we go back to it could be food it could be sex it could be your career it, it could be just you know living a life that kind of avoids reality and maybe even today you're at that place where you're denying the fact that you are at a place that is not healthy the second thing that we do is we wallow in it yeah. which basically is that we get stuck in it and what will happen is God will allow us to go through valleys and when we go through a valley, God wants to walk through it, but sometimes we'll make a decision to sit in it. And we all know people like this in our life, that everything is negative. The weather is bad, the sports, my sports team's bad, or 40, yeah, the 49ers might be 5-0, and oh, but if Jimmy G gets hurt, it's all downhill, and they're going to be 5-11. You know, it's like just constantly negative, and sometimes that outlook on life can cause us to be stuck at a place of depression. Yeah, for sure. And so 
God never intended you to pitch your tent right there in the midst of the mire, right? He wants us to, to get on through it. And that's what the third point is, is that we would walk through it. And I think even a better word than walk is to trudge because there's a heaviness about it. It's not something that you do easily when you're in the middle of, of such a dark place. And I think about that verse in Isaiah where it talks about those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And it says that you'll, you'll fly on the wings of eagles. And sometimes you, you just feel like you're soaring through life. You're just going, everything's going so well. And then it says that you can run and not grow weary. And you've just got this strength and this stamina and you're keeping pace. And then the third one is that you'll walk and not faint. Mm -hmm. And it feels like that's all you have the strength to do is to walk and not faint. But that, that is just as much a grace, a supernatural grace from God as to fly on the wings of eagles. Sometimes we're in seasons where just walking is miraculous, just, just getting through it, just keeping up, just, just keep going. Don't, don't lay down, don't sit down, don't, don't give in to this hopelessness that it will never change. And we have to trudge through the valley and just keep going. Yeah, and when you're with somebody who's walking through that valley, there are things that you can do that help. Yeah. And then there are things that you can do that hurt. Mm -hmm. um, I can give you a whole list of stupid things to do when your wife is struggling with depression. One was when we uh, first had gotten married and we were in grad school. Stacy was exhausted. She, you know, she was really surprised by the reality of being married to me. Um, and one evening she's in, in the study. She's studying for a test and she's starting to enter into depression. And I looked at her and I, I said to her, uh, Stacy, if you don't get over this, you're not going to be allowed to go to school next semester. <laughs> like, what kind of idiot husband says that? Um, so, it. yeah, I've, I've made all the, all the mistakes in the process. And when somebody's walking through it, yeah. um, there can be a tendency to run ahead of them. There can be a tendency to try to push them from behind. But what's the most helpful response? Maybe I should have asked this 15 years ago, but what's <laughs> the most helpful response when somebody is walking through it as a friend or a family member? I think just that stability of knowing that, that you're there, that you're in it with them, that, you're, that you love them unconditionally, and um, not trying to fix them. Like I said earlier, depression is not logical, and so you can't help them reason their way out of it. Like, I know my life is blessed. I know I have every reason to be thankful, but it doesn't change the way I'm feeling right now. Like, it's, it's not logical, and so the logic of, of your reasoning is not helpful to me right now. That's not what I need, and what I need to know is just even though I am unpleasant to be with, even though I'm kind of a drag to be around right now, you still love me, you're in it with me, we're gonna get through this together. And I think just that stability um, and consistency of, of it's okay, we're yeah. gonna make it. And, a, and even that kind of a friend or that kind of a spouse gives so much more freedom for a person to be honest about their pain. And that leads us to the last part that we're gonna finish on, which is to allow God to meet your needs. In the same way that God comes to Elijah to meet his needs, today God wants to come and meet you at your place of brokenness, of hardship, maybe even addiction, that God wants to enter into that with you. In chapter 19, verse 5, Elijah was still sleeping in his exhaustion, and an angel came and touched him. And I love that tender picture of the heart of God. That even when you have nothing to offer back to God, 
even when you are exhausted and you're sleeping and even proverbially can't get up, God still comes and he, he knocks on the door of our hearts. He wants to bless you. He wants to love you and care for you. So he says to Elijah, get up and eat. It's, it's, it's kind of funny too, like you would think God would deal with some spiritual issue, but God simply starts by solving Elijah's physical problem. He looked around Elijah and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones, which is the first angel food cake, um, by the way. <laughs> It's a good pastor joke right there for you. And a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. So God meets his physical needs. And then the angel of the Lord came and touched him and said, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. God will, God will leverage whatever he can to fix the needs that we have and to provide healing into our lives. And sometimes that's you getting connected into a group and us finding community. Sometimes that's a doctor that walks alongside of us and prescribes medicine or a therapist that helps you unpack trauma and memories from your childhood. Oftentimes it can be even a friend that is willing to journey through it with you or maybe even just this touch from God in your heart helping you realize that he has not left you. God will do whatever it takes to get healing into our hearts, but it requires us to be willing to cooperate with God. That posture to say, God, I invite you into it. I know I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. I want to be honest with you about my struggle, and I want you to, to meet my need. I'm going to allow you in to meet me right where I am. In Psalm 42, verse 5, King David says this. He says, why am I so discouraged, and why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God, and I will praise him again. There's somebody who is here today and you feel like you've lost your ability to praise God. Mm. And maybe even you've never heard about the fact that you could praise God. Like maybe this is your first time in a church and the thought of a loving God, the thought of a God who cares about you, it just doesn't make sense to you. But what God sent us here and the reason he brought you here today is so that you can know that he's for you. And he's not given up on you and you can have hope that this is not the end. And God wants to enter into it to give hope to your soul so that you can know that there is a way out. David got that confidence that God was going to get him through this. And we hope today that through our words and through this message that God begins to breathe that sense of hope into your soul. I was working with a therapist at one point, um, and they asked me, what, how do you think God views you? How do you view God? And I was thinking about it, and I think that the therapist thought I was going to say something along the lines of, he's probably pretty disappointed in me right now, because I, I had nothing to give. And all my life, I like had loved Jesus and grown up in church, served the church, loved the church, and, and, and for the first time in my life, I, I had nothing. I like could hardly get out of bed. But the thing that came to my mind in that moment when he asked me that question was, I think for the first time, I understand grace. I understand the unconditional love because I've got nothing to offer God right now. There's, there's no good thing coming out of me. And that love is the same. And I want to just speak to those of you right now in the room who are in a dark place. And I want to tell you that his love for you is so rich and so personal. 
And then he's not frustrated with you. He's not disappointed in you. He wants to be there in the midst of your pain with you. He wants to help you carry you through it. You know, he never promised us that this life would be easy. In fact, he, he promised us that in this world we would have troubles. The promise wasn't that it would be easy. The promise was that he would be with us, that he would never leave us or forsake us. The promise was that his mercies are new every morning and that there's strength for today. And so if you're in the middle of hopelessness right now or sadness and depression, I want you to walk out of this room feeling the hope that your God loves you, that he sees you, that he's not given up on you, that you are precious in his sight. And he has good things in store for you. This is not the end. You know, the truth is that those of us who are in Christ, the best is always yet to come because we have the hope of heaven. And one day all this pain, all this suffering, all this hopelessness, all this emptiness, it's all going to fall off of us. And we're going to be with him. And we'll experience nothing but joy and fulfillment and peace. And so even in the darkness, hope can come in. And even in the darkness, you can experience comfort. You can experience a tenderness of the compassionate God that maybe you couldn't have experienced if you didn't get to this place. And so right now, I want to have just a, a moment, a time of ministry where we can pray over you. And I want to ask you guys to close your eyes and if that's you this morning, if you guys, if you are struggling in the middle of some anxiety or depression, or if you're in a dark place today, I just want to invite you to raise your hand. And Andy and I just want to say a prayer over you. Father, you see these hands. You know the people who are hurting this morning. You know the struggle that they're walking through, the circumstances that feel so hopeless and heavy. And Father, I thank you for your great love for them. Father, I pray that, that you would be the God of all comfort to them, that you would give a supernatural peace to their heart, that they would know your nearness, that they would stand on truth. Father, I pray that you would give them wisdom to know how to get the help that they need, the perseverance to keep walking through it and to not allow the hopelessness to overtake their life. Father, I pray that they would experience your love for them. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come. Come, Holy Spirit, and minister to our hearts. As we leave here today, may we leave with the assurance that you're with us, that we've got the hope of heaven to hang on to, that you care, that you love, that you see. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.